Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. But I've been preaching uh, for the last five, five times I've preached on the seven miracles in the book of John. Seven signs, John calls them signs. There are seven miracles that, Jesus, that John recorded that Jesus did. Now, we know Jesus did a lot of miracles. At the end of the book of John, he said, if we were to write them down, the world could not contain the volumes, right? And also, we know from reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke that Jesus went out and, you know, you can read in Matthew chapter 8 how he just came down and he healed the leper. He healed the centurion's son. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. And then it says somewhere in there, at the, when the sun came down, they brought everybody to him and the sick, the paralyzed, the crippled, and he healed them all. So Jesus did many, 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 many miracles. But John records seven, seven, the whole book. He's got seven miracles for a specific reason. It's because he has specific things he wants to bring out. So, so I've been, uh, I was inspired when I was in, in India to, when we got back to preach through these seven, seven signs, and we're all the way up to number six. So get ready. Here we go. You'll find uh, this one is the uh, healing of the man who was born blind. And it's in John chapter 9. If you want to turn there in your Bibles with me. And I'm going to get them to follow along on the screens. And it says, John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. So understand the man's situation. He did not choose to be blind. He didn't have an accident but where he lost his vision, right? He didn't have macular degeneration or cataracts or anything like that. He was actually born this way. There was something wrong with either his nerves or physically his eyes. Something was wrong. The man has never been able to see, ever. He was truly born that. He needed more than just a repair of an injury. He actually needed something remade or fixed or made properly. So he, they, Jesus sees this man born blind. And in verse 2, the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. And the disciples here represented the mindset of their day. Actually represents the mindset of our days, right? How many, how many times do we see somebody and we figure, well, they probably deserve it. <laughs> they probably did something and brought it upon themselves. But the man was born blind, right? How could he sin before he was born? <laughs> so he didn't bring upon himself. But they said, they said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They wanted to place the blame on somebody. But the truth is what? This man did sin, and his, man, his parents sinned too, right? <laughs> I mean, think about it. Right? What's, what's uh, Romans 3.23 say? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. So they were, they were all a bunch of sinners, right? <laughs> You know, the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Glory is another theme that you see in the book of John. Do you remember in the beginning, it talks about, it opens up, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. In verse 14, put that up there, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then what's it say? And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We saw his glory, and all the things that Jesus did. And when he healed people, when he preached a word, when he loved people, when he was on the mountain praying and glowing, <laughs> all these different aspects are manifestation of his glory, of his kindness, of who he is, of his character, of his nature. 
And then we see in the end of John, when Jesus is praying, John 17, 22, what's he say? The glory that you have given me. He's praying to God, talking about the disciples. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. The glory you have given me, I have given to them. Come on, it's a gift. I have given to them. What are you trying to do to earn the glory? How about receive the glory in his name because he said, I've given it to you. Wow, huh? That they may be one even as we are one. The glory of God will produce a unity as, as a body of believers. It will. It will. But the reality is if you're in him and I'm in him, we are already one. We're already brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? But the glory that God gave Jesus, he is in turn turning around and giving it to you. Okay, come on. How might things look different in your life if Jesus takes and gives you his glory, the glory that God gave him? Come on, makes your problems look a lot smaller all of a sudden, doesn't it? <laughs> come on, I mean, this, the glory of God and this problem I'm going through. Right? right? Okay, I'm going to keep my eyes on the glory because I've magnified the problem too much. Yes. All right? The problem is not worthy of giving it that kind of attention <laughs> when he's given me his glory. And the same glory that Jesus had on him, that he operated on, that he manifested, that he demonstrated, that he displayed, will do the same works in your life. Don't believe me? No, I wouldn't believe God. Good, <laughs> good. <laughs> Praise God. So all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory. You know the story of the glory. How God created man in Psalm 8, and I think it's Hebrews 2. And he created the man, right? And he crowned him with glory, right? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. But Colossians 1.27 says what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Yeah, we're destined to a glorious future, amen? In the age to come. But he wants to start working through you now. In this present age, we have an opportunity to manifest the glory of God, to demonstrate the goodness and the glory of God right now today. So these disciples are, are concerned. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that, that he was born blind? And, and Jesus answered, it was not this man who sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. You know, when, when you see something that needs to be done and... Um, you have the ability to do it. You're not really that concerned with communicating a theory right there at that point. You're just ready to go do the work. Do you know what I'm saying? It's the people who can't get the job done who come up with the theories. Well, it could have been some kind of, you know, he sinned and he brought it upon himself. Maybe he deserves it. I mean, I don't even know if I should pray for him because, you know, maybe he opened a door to the devil. And, and first we've got to, you know, come on, Jesus didn't even think like that, did he? He does, that doesn't even enter his mind. He's like, look, here's a, here's a man who's born blind. This is an opportunity for me to glorify God. Your problems in your life are nothing but an opportunity to get God glory when you overcome them. Simple as that. Amen? Come on. When I ask my kids to clean up the living room floor because they make tents and forts and everything out of all their toys and they scatter all over the whole floor. It's like, hey, can, come here, clean this up. I need, to, I need to, I don't know, I need to see my floor. <laughs> and they don't want to do it. What do I get? I get, well, Benjamin did it. <laughs> or Abigail, come on, we're blameless. Who did it? I don't care who did it. I just want you to fix it, make it right. Jesus didn't care who did it. He didn't care how the man got that way. He just came to fix it and make it right. right. 
right? You know, if Jesus were like us, you know, um, you know, a lot of preachers today, and I, I'd probably be guilty of this too, so I'm pointing my finger at me, but, you know, he could have just done what, what, we, what we would do. They'd say, Jesus, you know, how did this man, was it his parents' sin or was it his sin? And Jesus could have said, well, you understand that at the creation, everything was perfect and there was no sin or sickness in the world. But when Adam sinned, that death came into the world through sin. And so, you know, all sickness is ultimately connected to sin because death came into the world through sin and sickness is death. And he would have been right in saying that, right? And he could have said, but not all sickness is necessarily tied to a particular sin. And he would have been accurate because that's true. When I've said that, and I've heard people say that, and it's true. But, but, but Jesus didn't even need to explain that. He just said, look, an opportunity to get God glory. Come on, I want you to see your problems and your challenges as nothing but an opportunity to glorify God when you defeat them. The giants in your life are nothing but an opportunity for you to glorify God when you knock them over and cut off their heads. Come on. Yes, Come on, let's do it. Amen. Jesus didn't care at all about that explanation. He was here to do a job. He was doing the works of God. He was doing the work of him who sent him. That's what he called it. I'm doing the work of him who sent me. As far as he was concerned, here's just another opportunity. You know, we're not called to be primarily theologians. We're not. We're called to be deliverers and proclaimers of the gospel. A proclaimer is not a theologian. You know, it's okay to explain to the extent that we know and understand, but we are responsible first for obedience. You know, when we start becoming theologians and apologetics and get into those kinds of things, we want to understand it all up here before we act on it. Right? right? Uh, <laughs> I just remember in this, I, Abigail, I broke a glass in the kitchen, so I had these little glass shards. I thought I'd gotten them all, but I didn't. And Abigail stepped on one, so she had this little glass shard in her foot, and it was hurting. Okay, it wasn't, it wasn't serious. It just was hurting. It was a little splinter. And, I mean, she was freaking out. I'm like, just give me your foot. No, no, it's going to hurt. I'm finally yelling at her, just listen to me. You cannot leave it in there. I see it. I've got the tweezers. Let me get it out. I had to explain to her logically how I was going to get it out before she would even relax enough for me to grab her foot and get it out. We don't want to be like that. We don't want God to have to explain everything to us 400 times before we just step into obedience. Because I had the tweezers there. I could have had that thing out. We could have saved all the fussing and wrestling and yelling and fighting. I could have had it out in two seconds. And she'd have been fine. Instead, it took me all this laboring with her and explaining how I don't have to dig into it. I'm not going to push it in. I can grab it. I see the end of it. Here's my tweezers. It's not going to hurt you. I mean, finally, she just relaxed just enough where I could just grab her foot for just long enough and grab that and pull it out. It wasn't a big deal. But, um, you know, how are you with God? Does he have to explain that to you like that? Does he have to labor with you and show you 400 different ways why you should believe him? Man, I would have had her fixed in a second. And he'll have you fixed in a second if you just believe him. You're called first to be obedient. And then as much as you can understand, yeah, study it, explain it, write it down, systematize, go for it, whatever. But you're not called to be a theologian. You're a deliverer and you're a doer. You're a doer of the word. Amen? The doers of the word are the ones who are blessed, not the ones who study it all. <laughs> it's the doers. You can study the word your whole life and still not be a doer. Come on. We want to be doers of the word. Amen. So, I love how people 
who are aggressive in, in the healing ministry thing. You know, Jesus is here, and he had this opportunity to, to minister to the blind man. I, uh, I met a man about the time I met Rin Kim online. You usually sit back there. I wasn't pointing at somebody else. There you are. Uh, I, I met this man online. He had a healing ministry, and he was actually, uh, I met two people online that turned out to be real people. One I married, and one was this man. His name was Roger Sapp. He has a healing ministry in Texas, and I wish he wasn't retired, and I wish he was still traveling, because I would love to bring him here. Um, he's written several books on, uh, he calls it Christ-centered healing, and um, I met him online, and uh, since then, I actually got to go to several of his meetings. And he actually was the one who encouraged me to go back and finish my Bible school. He said, man, you've got a knack for this, so you should go back. And so he was one of the few who's kind of spoken to my life that helped me uh, set out on that path. But um, I went to one of his meetings, and uh, the thing is, he teaches a Christ-centered healing. And um, I'm sitting over here on this side of the church, and, and there's a bunch of people in this, in this church and uh, the idea is he kind of teaches it, and they say, well, you, would you like to be one of the ones who pray? And I'm like, yeah. You know, that's what they do. They teach you, and then, then we pray for one another. I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. You know, I'm, I'm kind of new at this. I'm going to be aggressive. I'm going to be out there. And um, there is a, a wheelchair in my section, man, paralyzed legs. And, uh, and uh, I'm thinking, oh, God, I don't want to pray for the wheelchair. I don't want to pray for... <laughs> Come on, that's what you, 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 you don't see it as opportunity, you know? But there are people who are in the healing ministry who are like, oh, you have leukemia? Well, praise the Lord. I've never prayed for that before. Let's see what God will do. Do you see the right attitude? You know what I'm saying? Well, praise God, a wheelchair. I've never prayed for somebody in a wheelchair. Let me just pray for you. I'm not doing the work. He's doing the work. Do you see how, how we should be, right? Well, I was kind of young and ignorant, and they came up, and this other line was moving through, and people testified to feeling heat and tingling and all that. And me and this group is praying for the man in the wheelchair all night, and they ended up doing things that he didn't, he preached not to do, and they're getting into their old habits and looking for all kinds of stuff to unbind different things. They kind of got off track, and I don't know if he was helped. I hope he was. I really do. I did not see the the miracle I would like to see that night with him. But I'm just saying the attitude that you get, you know, it's like, oh, you know, when you take a stand on healing, God wants to heal. God will heal you. And then then somebody comes in who's really a bad situation, and you're like, oh, I hope they don't actually ask me to pray. <laughs> no, come on, we need the same attitude as Jesus. Come on, this is an opportunity for God to be glorified. How is God going to get glorified? The fact that I don't have the answer, I can't do it at all, but I can believe God. Yes. I can believe God. And when it happens, you'll know it wasn't me because I can't do it. Um, one, of my, one of our first family businesses, uh, this, is, this is years and years ago, my family had a, a, a gift store in a tourist town in um, Georgia, North Georgia, up in the mountains. And uh, if anybody's ever been to Helen, Georgia, that's where it was. It was um, we'd had a store there for about 13 years. And um, my mom was... Uh, Melissa, what was she? She was talking. She was learning about, she was reading a book. Yeah. And it was about stepping out, even if you don't necessarily feel it, just step out in obedience. You know, that's what she was reading. So, so she's in the store and uh, this man comes in and a uh, young guy and uh, she's talking to him. And, and uh, somehow in the conversation, she found out that his fiance, who was in town, uh, is staying with him in town. I don't, so I guess they weren't, you know, married or anything. It's not like they were Christians or anything. But uh, they, uh, she had cancer, and the doctor had given her literally just weeks to live. They were there kind of at the end. And uh, so she says, 
Oh, well, I know a good doctor. <laughs> you know, you say stuff like that, right? No good doctor. And he's, he, I mean, he's desperate. He goes, really who? <laughs> I mean, he's ready to take a name and he's trying anything. And she goes, oh, well, Jesus, we'll pray for her and, and, and she can be healed. And he's like, oh, okay. And so, you know, she's thinking, that's it. You go, we'll pray. And we'll never see each other again, right? <laughs> A couple hours later, he shows up with her in the store, right? Okay, and you're like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> and so I wasn't at the store that day, Melissa was, so she probably remembers it a little bit better, but she was really, she was in the final stages. They were, you know, to the point where the medicine's not working, we're going to stop the medicine, right? So she's um, wearing those crutches with the, with, right, Melissa, with the, with the braces, to, just to even move herself around and stand up. And my mom is like, okay, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Because <laughs> I've taken this stand. Now I'm, going, I'm confronted with this. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And all of a sudden, the store is empty this whole time. But all of a sudden, it just gets so busy with customers. And they start to leave. And she's like, oh, man, what do I do? So she just went up there. She went to her. And she says, so I hear you're dying. <laughs> it's a great opening line. I hear you're dying. <laughs> she's like, yeah. And I, wow, she just leaned into her. She just, the, the heart, the compassion of God. I mean, she didn't even feel anything. No unction, no anointing, no tingling of the hands, no heat, no nothing. I hear you're dying. And she hugged her and she just said, in Jesus' name, receive your healing. And all of a sudden, that woman just melted into her arms. And my mom went around and she started telling all of us, I prayed for somebody today. She got healed. I know she got healed. And we're like, that's great because you hear that all the time. That's great. <laughs> Glad she got healed. Great. Amen. Amen. We're with you in faith. She got healed, right? But it was, it was just a couple months later, that woman walks back in the store. No crutches, no nothing. Strong, clear cancer. <laughs> Praise God, huh? Praise God. So don't back away from the opportunities. Amen. Every giant in your life is just an opportunity to get God glory. Didn't get my mom glory because she didn't know what in the world she was doing. But God wanted to do it. God wanted to do. And the only thing that she did that was right was she was willing to put herself out there. We just got to be willing to put ourselves out there. Amen? Amen? Come on. Master, his disciples said, why was this man born blind? Was it the result of his own sins or the sins of his parents? Neither, Jesus answered, this is the living Bible, but to demonstrate the power of God. Right. We're supposed to be a people that can demonstrate the power of God. I really like how the CEV says it. Teacher, why is this man born blind? Was it because he or his parents sinned? Verse three, no, it wasn't, Jesus answered, but because of his blindness, you will see God work a miracle for him. Yeah. It's just an opportunity to glorify God. You know, it seems like the chaos and the misery that's in this world is actually the raw material for God's new creation. He's gonna take this. And out of this raw material, hurt and chaos and misery, he's going to build the new creation. Isn't that good? It's like David's mighty man, you know, in the cave there. I mean, he took the misfits, the, the disenfranchised, the depressed, the indebted, and he made an army out of them. God can take the broken things and make them whole. It's just an opportunity. Praise God. So don't turn away from those who have a need. Don't turn away because Psalm 34, 18 says that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. If you don't turn away from those who have a need, who are brokenhearted, who are crushed, you'll find that God is with them. You just might even meet him there as you're trying to help them. Praise God. 
come on, Christianity, I've said it before, does not exist in big cathedrals and buildings and, and, uh, and religious things, you know, that we do. Christianity lives out here where the people are. Christi your Christianity is alive where you go to work, believe it or not, and with your family and with your friends. That's where you become a Christian. That's where you are a Christian. Anybody can sit in a cathedral <laughs> or even in a church. We don't have cathedrals now, but we have nice buildings, right? Anybody can be a Christian there, but come on, being a Christian is you're a Christian out there where you live every day. Praise God. So Jesus' primary concern here is that the works of God would be accomplished in this man's life while there was an opportunity. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about when Jesus fed the 5,000. Do you remember that? He was tired, right? He just heard that John the Baptist was killed. So he wanted to get away and have a little break. The disciples, he just sent out the 12 on a crusade. They came back from preaching in all the villages. They were healing and laying hands on the sick and preaching the gospel. For, for the whole crusade, they came back and they were excited and, and he wanted some downtime with the disciples. They were, they were a little tired. They did all this ministry. So they got in the boat and they headed out to the wilderness just to be alone. And when the crowds meet him there and followed him for three days, Jesus did not miss the opportunity to feed them, right? Come on, the opportunities come when we're not always looking for them. So be ready to change your plans to take advantage of whatever opportunities in your life. In our midweek service, we've been uh, looking at the uh, fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And I got hung up on goodness because goodness ended up being a really deep subject. I thought I would do two or three each night. And then I got into this goodness. And, you know, you just look at the goodness of God. It's like the goodness of God, you know. Uh, Moses said, God, show me your glory. You know, we we're talking about glory earlier. God, show me your glory. He said, I'll make my goodness pass before you. Yeah, the goodness of God is his, his heaviness, his character, its nature, it's who he is. So, so we're on this goodness, but Galatians 6.10 says this about goodness. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially those who are of the household of faith as we have the opportunity because the time is coming when we're not gonna have the opportunity anymore. And we're going to wish that we had done good to people while we had the opportunity. But people aren't in your life forever. They come and then they go. They come and then you go. And then the end of the world is going to come when Jesus makes everything new. And we will not have the opportunity to do the things that God wanted us to do anymore. So the question is, are we going to do them now? That's the answer. Let's do them now. Amen. Jesus answered him in verse three. It's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, because night is coming when no one can work. Jesus knew that even for his life, there was a window of opportunity, a window of opportunity. Right now we have to do these works because it's day, it's light. I can do them now. The night's coming and nobody's going to be able to work. But while I have opportunity, let's get this man healed. Amen. While I have opportunity, let's show this person how much we love them and care for them. While we have opportunity, let's share the gospel with somebody who doesn't know. While we have opportunity, let's counsel a young person who's coming up into life and trying to work their way through things. While we have opportunity, let's go volunteer for this ministry or feed the homeless or, 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 or help in the youth group or do whatever you do while you have the opportunity. Come on, amen.
We live sometimes as if we always have opportunities. They'll always be there. But there's a limit. There's a time limit on our opportunities. And when the opportunity is gone, sometimes they're gone forever. 2 Corinthians 6, first two verses. Working together with him then, look, working together, working on his works, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time, and now is the day of salvation. Now, right now, because what Jesus has already done is accomplished. It's past tense. It's a place in history. It's already happened. You read the Old Testament, you're reading prophecy. You're reading all the things that are going to, going to, going to, going to happen. But Jesus has already been crucified. So everything that has been provided for us in Christ Jesus is ours right now. Amen. Praise God. It's ours now. So now is the time to live for him, right? Now is the time to pull out all stops and go full throttle for him. If not now, when? The opportunity is closing. Time is passing by. Every day lost not living for him is a day lost not living for him. So let's do it. Amen. You know, even your healing for healing, you know, healing is for this present age. Healing is not for that age. We don't need healed in heaven. You know, people say ultimate healing, whatever. Well, you, you know, you're a recreated body. It won't need to be healed. You know, if we're going to fulfill that prophecy that he took our pains and carried our griefs, and, and by his stripes, we are here. We have to fulfill that right here, right now in this time. Healing is for this present time. Amen? Yes, amen. He says in verse four, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And then verse five, as long, listen to this, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. I'm not even gonna go there today. <laughs> then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. Come on, anybody want an altar call? <laughs> Somebody go out and bring me some dirt, you know? I, I, I don't even know that one. I've not, I've not gone into that. I did, I did, I did hear this though that um, the, uh, the the they use uh, saliva. The Jews would use saliva for medicinal purposes, right? And I would have thought that was gross until I saw Abigail spit on her hand and rub it on the kid's wound. She's like, oh, it's for medicine. It kills the germs. I'm like, kid, that's just, it's just weird. Okay. But <laughs> so they did, they did. But here's the thing. It was against the law to do it on the Sabbath. And guess what day this miracle happened on? The Sabbath. So Jesus is breaking the law by using spit as medicine on the Sabbath. So there you go. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Shiloh. Man, I'd go wash in the first pool I could find. <laughs> Which means sent. So he went and washed and he came back seeing. He came back seeing. Praise God. Praise God. But he says this, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Who else is the light of the world? Matthew 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Hey, we're not called to be hiding in the caves in the end times. We're just not, you know? I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I think we should prepare and do what we can, but I don't really necessarily want to find a bunker and go down there and spend my last days underground somewhere locked up. I just don't. Well, you are a city on a hill. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. He did not light you with the Holy Spirit to hide you. He wants to display you to the world. Come on, that's good. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Your good works. What kind of works are we talking about? You know, somebody really super rich like Bill Gates or somebody would go to a, an impoverished community and, and give away free food and stuff. People would, you know, they maybe would thank God for him. They would maybe receive him like an angel. But at the end of the day, who would really get the glory for that? He would. Because it's within his means to do it. And it was within his decision to do it. He would get the glory for that. But if you do the works that you can't do, but only God can do, so that when you do them, people know that God was working through you, who gets the glory for that? We're called to do the works of God, the works of Jesus, right? The works that, that only Jesus can do, that you can do because you're connected to him, but it's the works of God, and they bring God glory. Come on, we are saved, right, unto good works, that we should walk in them, that he's ordained that we should walk in them. So we are called to do the works of Jesus so that God will get the glory. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Look at John 14, 12, and 13. This is a book of John. Look how he uses this same idea uh, in, in his book because the, the works of God are all through the book of John. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will, do the will also do the works that I do the works that Jesus does, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father, and greater works. I think it's so funny to me because every time, you know, I hear people talk about that verse, they always get, they always get a discussion about what those greater works mean. You know, okay, well, greater. Well, it means greater in magnitude or greater in quantity, not greater in magnitude. And they go in there and they try to look at the Greek to try to figure it out, what it, what it actually means. What does greater works mean? Well, salvation must be a greater work. So we're called to preach and get people saved or, you know, whatever. And, and, and that's fine. But what about the first phrase, the works that I do? Man, I'd just be thrilled to be doing all the works that Jesus did. The works that I do and greater works than shall these do, right? And then why? Look at the next verse. Whatever you ask in your name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. The, when you get your prayers answers, God gets glory. Come on, glorify God in your life today, amen? Let's glorify him. And we only have this narrow window of opportunity. We only have this life to accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. This life is all I have to give right now. Today, really, if you want to even think about it, it's today because tomorrow's not guaranteed. I don't know when the final curtain's drawn on this age and we're going to regret not taking every opportunity we had to do the works of God. You know, the man was blind from birth. He was, truly was born that way. You hear that going around today. I was born this way, <laughs> right? Okay, while you're mutilating your body and changing it from how you were born, you know, I was born this way. It gets really stupid, doesn't it? But this man was really born not seeing, yet he wanted desperately to be free of that condition. He didn't use it as an excuse. He could have said, I was born this way. God made me this way. I want to stay this way. But he didn't. He wanted to see. And when I got to this place as I was preparing, it was like God said, I felt like it. Stop here. So I'm going to stop here. There's a lot more to be said because as the, uh, as the 
as the narrative goes on, he gets into a conversation with the Jews. And we realize that there's also a parallel here between those who have spiritual blindness. And uh, if, 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 if we may have a part two. I'm not 100% sure yet. We may have a part two to this parable. But uh, let's not use how we are as an excuse to not step into what we can be. Yes. Do you see what I'm saying? Just because I have always been this way doesn't mean I cannot become something different in him. Right? right? He was born that way. He had every reason to think I, can, I should stay this way. I'm used to it. I don't even know what I would do with eyes. I don't even have a skill because I'm old now and I'd never had a job. <laughs> you know, there's every reason he could have stayed in his condition, but he didn't. He said, I want to become what you have for me. I want to become what God has for me. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Let's pray together, shall we? Father God, we do love you. We just thank you for this word. We thank you that you came that, to open the eyes of the blind. Father, I just ask that you move on our hearts, Lord. Let this word sink into our hearts and into our lives, Lord, so that we will step into our, our, our responsibility as sons and daughters of God to be a demonstrator of the kingdom, to be a carrier of the glory of God, Lord, that your favor and your time of favor and your anointing and your power would rest upon us, Lord, and that we would step into everything that you've called us to do as individuals and as a church. Father God, I thank you for what you're doing in our lives. I thank you for this word. Father God, make it a reality to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.